Guys, we are fired up to be at the 13th annual Pacific Coast Sport Fishing Festival happening on March 2nd to the 5th at the OC Fair and Event Center in Costa Mesa. Tackle, fishing reports, fishing boats, amazing seminars, everything's going to be at this show. Make sure not to miss this one. Plus, we're going to have a booth for the Doc Talk podcast, recording live podcasts throughout the day, so make sure you stop by. Not to mention, we are giving away a show package at CCA. $60 gets you entry to the show, a tote bag, one-year membership to CCA, and loaded whip with goodies from our sponsors. Be sure to check us out. Check out that show package at ccacalifornia.org. Register today for it or stop by the CCA booth outside the show whenever you go to the show and take advantage. We'll see you guys there. back to the CCA California Podcast. My name is Chris. Alongside my good friend, Mr. Darren Cryo. Darren, what's going on, dude? How are you? I'm doing good, man. Great to be here. Yes, I've been looking forward to this episode for like months. It's been crazy. It's going to be super, super awesome. Before we get started, make sure to go follow us on Instagram at CCA California and uh, go visit our website at ccacalifornia.org for all the latest news and all the good stuff. And without further ado, we've got my good friend, Mr. Rory Taylor from Traeger. Trey, how's it going? Rory, how's it going? Doing awesome. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks out. for coming down, man. I know you're not in California anymore. You're in uh, Utah, but uh, glad to have you. Yeah, super stoked to be here. Awesome, we've, man. We've gotten a lot of snow, so walking around in shorts and a t-shirt feels great. <laughs> How much you got on the ground up there right now? Uh, I read a report that Alta Ski Area has over six feet. Man, yeah. six feet. And uh, we live kind of down in the valley, and I've shoveled more snow this season than I've had in the last two crisp, uh, two uh, winters combined. So No kidding. We need it. We need it, you know. Got to keep those dead bodies and meat hidden. So <laughs> hopefully we get a good winter. Oh, man. Well, before we get started here, what um, when was the last time you went fishing down here in Southern California? Man. Uh, earlier this year. Yeah. yeah, this year was a little bit hectic. You know, obviously the world was crazy, so I didn't get down as much <laughs> as I, I'd like to. But, yeah, I think it was early summer. I think we snuck out and got a couple days in, but nothing nice. too crazy. Bluefin fishing or something? No, mostly just inshore local stuff. Nice. Yeah, nothing nice. too crazy. Do you prefer that, the inshore stuff, or as opposed to the bluefin? What's, so what, what's attracted me to fishing was not really what we're fishing for, but who I'm fishing with. That's always been really cool. Like, that's what I think is the best part about it. That's fishing. what it's all about, right? 100%. So, really, it's just if I get an invite or I get an opportunity to fish with somebody, like, I mean, I don't care what they want to fish for. Like, you know, I'm just looking forward to hanging out with those people and hanging out with friends and stuff. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm a little bit ADD, so <laughs> I, I don't mind standing <laughs> in the stern and casting for 10 hours straight. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm not picky. Like, if it's time on the water, I don't care what I'm fishing for. Nice, nice. Yeah. And in Utah, you're huge into trout fishing right now. Just got into uh, fly fishing. How's that been? Uh, it's been wild. Never in my wildest dreams that I think I'd be getting so, like, obsessed with trout fishing. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to explain because, you know, growing up in Southern California, like, all my buddies that fish, they're pretty aggro. Like, mm -hmm. it is balls to the walls, like, running and gunning, like... It's, you know, 
it's aggressive, right? Yeah. So you look at all these uh, Instagram accounts and you look at all this information about fly fishing and, and they look so dainty and it looks so finessey and they're wearing these matching outfits, you know, and I just, it, it, for, it just never really jumped out at me. And uh, we were up, uh, we had some customers come into town, so we took them fishing and uh, we were fishing on the Provo River, which I didn't know this at the time, but apparently it's uh, one of the like most sought after world-class trout fisheries in the world. Right in your backyard. Literally 20 minutes from my doorstep. <laughs> and uh, we were just fishing small little dry flies and mm -hmm. uh, catching a couple, I was having a good time. And then all of a sudden I hooked a small fish, probably seven, eight inches, nothing big. And I, you know, I'm pretty accustomed to, you know, when you're fishing bass and stuff, they'll, they'll jet in a hole or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. All of a sudden the thing just stopped. And I thought maybe it was hung up on something. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden it started running upstream. And I like looked through my glasses and I was like, oh my gosh, there was like a 27 inch trout that had bitten the fish I was hooked on. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, whoa. And I was like, okay, this is cool. Like I'm really feeling this. It's very visual. You know, the dry fly thing. Went back a couple of days later on my own and caught a couple of fish. And then, um, yeah. And then went up and uh, we have a lot of reservoirs. So we got a lot of cutthroat mm -hmm. and those things on streamers and those things on top water is on freaking believable. No I mean, kidding. it is, it is, it is some of the most visual fishing you're going to, you're going to experience. And then, and then it was, uh, it was game on, you know, I was waking up at three in the morning, driving <laughs> all, you know, two and a half, hour and a half, two hours, different reservoirs, looking for different, you know, cutthroats and areas and stuff. And mm -hmm. it was all new learning it. You know, I have Navionics from, you know, living down here. So a lot of those reservoirs were on there. So I was able to find structure and depth and drop offs and just, yeah. So it was all new to me. And then rivers don't freeze. And uh, I haven't gotten into ice fishing yet. Everyone talks about how great that is, but wow. I'm not there yet. But, yeah, and then I just fished all um, winter long in the snow. There's something about being on the ice, fish. I mean, I don't know if I could do it. You know, that's always in the back of your head, the ice is going to break. <laughs> I've done it once. Right. And that crackling, like, apparently you want to hear the crackling. That's a good sign. Really? Yeah, because it's adjusting. It's freezing. Like, it makes those sounds when it's actually getting thicker. But, uh, Good to know. yeah, no, I'm not. Yeah. Like I said, I don't know if I trust, them. I'm a big dude. Like, <laughs> and you see guys out there on like, uh, what do you call it? Like snowmobiles and yeah. like side by sides on the ice. Just well, like trying around. And they around. tow these sheds out there. Yep. I didn't realize there was ice fishing in Utah. Big. Yeah. Really? I, I think it's a lot of, it's very social too. Like people will drag TVs out there and then they'll just like put their, you know, their big tent shed thing up. And then it's just, they'll just like, they'll be barbecuing watching football. No and kidding. then just like with, you know, a 12 inch hole in the, and if the, so again, it's like, I, I don't, <laughs> I think there's a handful of guys that are super avid from what I've gathered, but I think it's pretty social, you know? Wow. So, so yeah. you've been, you've been out in Utah for a couple of years now. So mm -hmm. you're, you're pretty much dialed in, into trout fishing right now. I wouldn't say I'm dialed in, but I'm definitely obsessed. Okay. Uh, yeah. And, and I, I, again, there's a lot of similarities between other types of fishing. I mean, understanding conditions, looking for the right waters, all that type of stuff, but that's so different. I mean, you know, you look at these flies and we're talking like 24 and 22 size hooks that I'm like, I'm kind of getting to the age where I'm like, am I going to have to get readers? Like this is <laughs> it's a small you know, hook. Plus it's like 20 degrees. So your hands are numb and you're trying to tie with three pound test. So again, it's just this whole new, like, you know, going from mostly fishing, tying knots with 20 mm -hmm. plus pound fluorocarbon, yeah. and, you know, mono to three pound fluoro is yeah. So, and then I'm like, I'm looking at these things and I can't tell the difference, but apparently yeah. the fish can. It, it's just, it's a trip. 
to think that you're in this river or this thing's coming flying down essentially the river you know, this, this runway or this freeway. And then all of a sudden the fish can see this tiny little hook with whatever thread on it and they bite it, hmm. you know? And then it's like, they not only are you fighting the fish, but then you're also fighting the current. So you're fighting, you know, if you get lucky, a 20 inch fish and there's rocks and there's things, it's just, so again, it's just this whole thing. And then on top of that, you're walking around and it's slippery. You're falling in. I'm falling yeah. all the time. Like, you know, so it's just this whole new experience. So it's been a lot of fun. So as a as born and raised in Southern California, you're adapting well to, to the life in Utah. Yeah, I really am. So, nice. Yeah, it's been That's fun. Cool, man. Do you, so basically, you're kind of like waiting in, in the rivers. Yeah, all waiting. And then there's a lot of uh, um, rivers you can float, mm-hmm. which is a whole nother trip. Because, again, you know, my boss, he has a float boat, if you've seen it on my Instagram. And he has a Traeger attached to the back of it. So that's a whole new experience because you put it in at the top of the river and you float for sometimes two days, three days, trucks waiting for you at the bottom and you're just camping out, we'll sleep out. You're just fishing all day long, eating good food, hanging out. And it's just, it's just really, it's beautiful. And again, mm-hmm. it's just, it's such a different, from an aesthetic standpoint, it's so different than anything we're used to in Southern California. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so it's been a lot of fun to explore it and learn all this new stuff. And yeah, it's kind of, you know, it's like... I feel like I'm 14 again, trying to learn how to fish, you know, that's so awesome. Fun. That's cool, man. Well, before, uh, before we get too much further along, you're at Traeger now. Tell us a little bit about the gig there and yeah. uh, what were you doing before Traeger? Yeah, it's a funny story actually. So, um, it's actually been eight years of this, this month. So I've been there for a long time. And, uh, prior to Traeger, I worked for a medical device company doing product management and I've had numerous sales roles and things like that. And, a good buddy of mine, he actually got a job at Traeger about nine years ago, and he hit me up and said, hey, they're, you know, they got a new uh, a new owner that's come in. They're kind of re- trying to kind of relaunch this thing. They're looking for some direct sales rep. You should throw your name in the hat. And I did, and uh, here I am eight years later. So I've been doing sales for Traeger this whole time. So working with all the retailers in the Western United States. What? So where's your, where's your territory at? Uh, when I first started, it was California, Arizona, and Nevada. Those were kind of the three states. And then there was a, a couple of us that kind of serviced the retailers in that area. And then now I work with the sales teams across pretty much the whole Western United States. So, Oh, wow. Yeah, so pretty much from New Mexico into Colorado, up into Wyoming, up into Montana, and everything west of that. Nice. Yeah. That's cool, man. So overall, in general, Traeger's going pretty well. I mean, I know it's exploded in, in just popularity ever since, I mean, before COVID. Yeah. Yeah, we've. Uh, it, it, what's crazy, people don't realize this. It uh, triggers been around since the late '80s, and uh, so again, we were, we invented the wood pellet grill. So you know, we. Mm-hmm. But it was pretty underground. Like, yeah, there wasn't a lot of push behind it, definitely from a marketing standpoint. So even when I started, it was all really word of mouth. Um, mm-hmm. Not a ton of retailers, um, and then as people started to kind of learn about it and understand how easy it is, the versatility, how it fits into people's Best thing lifestyles. Ever. Seriously. <laughs> Especially, I mean, it's like I got three kids, so outside of trying mm-hmm. to fish and have hobbies, like, we're busy. I put know? a TV in the backyard. I set mine on till the, I got to watch the barbecue. Out there <laughs> beers, watch TV. Now I got to stand by it. Yeah. <laughs> I lasted about a year until my wife figured out that I don't have to stand by it. Yeah. And then I'll never forget, we, um, <clears throat> you know, 
we used to go to church, and then I'd be like, I got to go home and check on the, on the barbecue. So I like mm-hmm. bail and leave church, you know? <laughs> and then we came out with the one that had the Wi Fi. Oh, yeah. So I'd be like, wake up Sunday morning, and she's like, make sure you use the Wi Fi one so you don't have to leave church. <laughs> so she figured it out real quick. How nice of her to remind oh, you. Oh, yeah. Bless her heart. She's a no. She puts up with a lot. So. Yeah. yeah, but no, it's, it, like I said, I mean, from a versatility standpoint and just like a sustainability standpoint with how much fish people are catching these days, like, mm-hmm. yeah. it, it's a it's a huge tool. When it comes to the pellet grills, Traegers especially, I mean, it's with the popularity and with the explosion of just pellet grills in general and all that, it's transformed. I bet you've probably seen guys or gals, uh, for that matter, basically who either hardly cook or have never cooked before. And that's pretty much either given them confluence to cook or just transformed everything in the kitchen. It's uh, made everybody a Michelin chef. Yeah. hundred percent, a hundred percent. And like, it's super easy to do. It really is. And you learn, you know, like for example, like I teach a couple classes, barbecue classes up at the college up by my house. And we're, we're going to talk about that later. Yeah. <laughs> <But> what's <laughs> interesting, Professor Rory. Yeah. But what's interesting is it's like, really like, okay, so I, you know, pull pork. Mm-hmm. It's super easy. You can't mess it up. It's a very forgiving meat. But I'll just change the seasonings based on what, how I want to serve it. So if I want to do a traditional pulled pork barbecue sandwich, my kids like sweet stuff, so I'm going to go more sweet. But if we're going to do tacos and I want to turn that into like carnitas or I want to use a yeah. enchiladas, I'm going to make it more savory. So I'm going to change that up, the rub. So I'm not changing the cooking method, but rather than using a sweet rub and then basting it with, you know, um, butter, brown sugar, and honey, or excuse me, apple juice, I'll use more savory rub and then I'll baste it with like a michelada and, you know, a little bit of Coke and and a butter. Cause then again, you get that, you get a totally different flavor profile, but the cooking method is exactly the same. Yeah. Oh my goodness. This is, um, this was a bad idea going into this, uh, into this podcast hungry. One one of my favorite things to put in those pillow grills is a tuna bellies. Big time. Oh my God. Best thing ever. Okay, so yeah. before Traeger, you were in medical devices and all that. Yeah. And overall, how long have you been at Traeger now? Eight years. Eight years. Yeah. Overall, liking it. I mean, it's. Love it. I mean, it's a killer job. Yeah, I, I'd love to have it. <laughs> no, it's been. Uh, it, it's been. I mean, it's been a huge blessing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've made some of my best friends, you know, because of that barbecue, and that's really what you know. Kind of our, our, you know, our goal with this whole thing is, you know, our mission statements bringing the world bringing people together to create mm-hmm. a new, a more flavorful world. And it's just, it's pretty rad to like, <clears throat> you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas are my favorite mm-hmm. because a, first of all, I love prime rib. That is my <laughs> favorite thing to cook, but getting all these like updates of guys cooking their first Turkey for their family or cooking the prime rib and they're sending pictures and like, I know I've sent you a couple. It's pretty rad. <laughs> like I love it. You know, people are like, I'm sorry. I know you get these all the time. I'm like, no, honestly, like this is rad. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, this is cool. So it is, it's pretty neat to see how people get so excited. And like, I mean, yeah, like I always tell people when I go fish with them, it's like, I'm bringing three things. I'm going to bring beverages, mm-hmm. gas money and barbecue, you know? Nice. And I remember one time we were fishing with Gary Reyes and a couple guys and we were fishing out of San Clemente Island. Mm-hmm. fishing bass all morning and then we got our buddies together we linked up with another boat jay jones and those guys and we tied the boats off and we had tri-tip sandwiches we had smoked tuna belly uh-huh. smoked tuna belly appetizers and we we're just sitting there and just eating talking about the morning and what was working and then yeah everyone's super full and then boom break up start exploring opposite end of the island and it, again so it just makes a really fun day out of it mm-hmm. and that food's a huge component of it yes it is yeah so out of all the different um i'll call them sectors of of industries and all that stuff 
you have the fishermen, you have the hunting sector and all that stuff. Have you seen like a, an explosion in one versus the other, or is it just everything or everyone? That's a good question. Um, we've seen different explosions at different times. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, we've definitely seen a good explosion from the out. I, I just kind of loop outdoors. the outdoors, man. Yeah. Um, in Southern California, um, surfers, uh, out of the gate took really, took, took hold of it really well. Um, we've seen women really take hold of it. I mean, really? my wife sells tons of Traegers every time she posts something, she uses it all the time <laughs> too. So we've seen these different levels of explosions at different times, you know, mm-hmm. and again, you have these guys that are super into sports and watching sports and that's become a huge part of their, their, their repertoire and, and their weekends. Um, the coolest thing I think I've kind of seen transition. So one of the coolest stories I think was, I remember, uh, um, we, had, we had been two or three years into it. CJ Hobgood, a lot of these pro surfers yeah. were starting to get into it and cooking all the time. And so it was interesting. This guy came up to me at an event. We're cooking in front of an Ace Hardware or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, I've had a Traeger for a while. He goes, this Traeger's made me cool. And I was like, <laughs> I was like what, do, what, what do you mean? He goes, my, my, my kids think I'm cool. He's like, my kids are really into surfing. I don't surf. We've never really had anything in common. And all of a sudden, my high school kids come home and they're like, dad, can we cook on the Traeger this weekend? And they are like bragging to their friends that their dad had a Traeger. And he's like, yeah, like I now I have this, the barbecue, which I never thought a million years would be this thing that helps mm-hmm. me and my 16-year-old son connect. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's pretty unique because, again, you know, my son's 11. And I've been fortunate enough that so far he's into things that I like, you know. Mm-hmm. I want to go fish. He likes to play football. Like, But it's like, man, if he, if, if we didn't, like, if I didn't have those things, like, it'd be hard. It'd be yeah. really hard on a relationship and a strain. So. To hear people t- talk about how, like, yeah, this this has bettered my life mm-hmm. is pretty rad. It's pretty wow. special. That's cool. Yeah. Changing the uh, the world one trader at a time. Yeah. <laughs> Never <laughs> in a million years <laughs> did I ever think I'd be selling barbecues. And here we are. Yeah. I mean, Traeger as a uh, as a company and all that, I know I've, I've spent, um, you know, some phone calls and that and service and everything. Everything's just top notch and all that. Really good quality. I just built, um, I th- we were saying this before we kicked it on here. I got married about a, two months ago and my wife got me a, uh, an Ironwood 885 for my, uh, my wedding gift. Thank yeah. you, baby. Congratulations. And, um, thank you. Uh, she's a good one. On the grill, not the marriage. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I just built one, built that same one just a week ago and I'll, it's all solid. Yeah. It's all saw and comes pretty much almost turnkey. Yep. Put on some legs and you're good. Yeah. The I, I don't know if you noticed it, but the one of the first instructions in that assembly guide is grab a beer or grab, grab a, a six, six pack, pack of beer. <laughs> <laughs> and then each step tells you like the you know step four, mm-hmm. take a drink of beer. <laughs> yep. And then uh, you know, and then the, uh, the the box, the inside of the box. Right. You turn it right side out or inside out, one of it always ways, and it turns into a, a, a Traeger uh, clubhouse for the Mm -hmm. kids. (laughs) And, uh, we actually got a Christmas card from a, uh, third grade class in Canada and it was signed by all the kids. And they said, thank you so much for the, for, for for, like the the teacher bought a Traeger and then took it into the class. And it's become like one of the most fun playthings in the class (laughs) is that box. Interesting. That's fun. Yeah. And so it it is Traegers there again, it's about the experience. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not about just cooking good food it's i mean it's the prep it's you know it's cooking it it's serving it it's putting the grill together like we want every step of the process to be fun and enjoyable Mm -hmm. you know and again 
sometimes things break. I mean, it's, you know, everything does. Name of the game. So again, yeah, we want to try to make that, that experience as well as enjoyable as possible too. Okay. So I have a question that I've been begging or dying to ask you. So when it comes to, um, say beginner level media or medium, and then say like the expert and all that stuff, what are three different things that one could actually cook at each different level? Oh yeah. So we, if you haven't cooked bacon on a Traeger, it's insane. Oh my gosh. Just put it like 15, 20 minutes to like 375. Um, and then you kind of, we, we joke, you go through the bacon wrap stage where you start Mm -hmm. wrapping everything in bacon. Yep. Um, but I would say probably like for your first big meat where you're like, I'm putting in time, um, pulled pork is probably the most versatile and most forgiving. Mm -hmm. Um, plus it makes great leftovers. It's pretty cost effective compared to a lot of the other meats, proteins. Mm -hmm. So I'd recommend like for people's first one to do those or ribs. Mm -hmm. Um, the three, two, one recipe is not my favorite recipe, but it is the most downloaded recipe on the Traeger app. Interesting. People love that recipe. And then, um, people get really stressed out about brisket. It's not, they, they overthink it. It's really, you just need time. See, that's what I want to kind of christen this new trigger with is brisket because yeah. I've never tried it, it before. Do it. Yeah. I just need the it's time. Best thing <laughs> ever. Yeah. Give yourself 18 hours. I was going to say, so what yeah. What goes into your brisket, Rory? So um, you can so you can always, so, so you give yourself plenty of time. Yeah. Everyone who says they struggle with brisket or even any big protein, that's usually the issue. They don't give themselves enough time. They'll give themselves 10 hours or 12 hours. So I always tell people, like, you can't speed a cook up, especially with a brisket cook. So if it hits a stall, you can't push through that stall, which means it gets to, like, 180, 190, and then it just stays there for hours. But What, you what causes a stall? I just, don't know. Not everyone, not every brisket does it. They do it for different amounts of time. I don't know hmm. if, I personally don't know if it's a fat content thing. I don't know if it has to do with. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's more lean meats. I haven't seen any correlation personally. So if it stalls, it's it's no big deal. You no, just, just got to yeah. push through. And then you can keep meat warm for like five, seven hours with a good cooler. Just leave it in tinfoil or the butcher paper, wrap it up in a couple beach towels, put in a cooler. It'll stay mm-hmm. hot for five hours. So even if it finishes way before you want to serve it, you want to let it rest for at least an hour. Right. So I always put give myself in about an 18-hour window from when I put it on to when I want to slice it and serve it. Mm-hmm. And then I actually, <clears throat> brisket's interesting too. It's a lot of meat. It's expensive. We do, my family prefers beef ribs, the short ribs, mm-hmm. the full stacks. They usually come in like four bones. Yeah. They're square, usually a few inches thick. You cook it just like a brisket. It's about a third of the time to a half of the time. And it's just like a brisket lollipop. It's like brisket on a bone. Oh and so it's good. You can cut them up, you, you know, and they're really rich too. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, it's like two or three big bites or I'm good. Okay. Usually, so yeah. Nice, nice. Yep. Doing a tri tip this weekend for mine. On yeah. mine. Oh my gosh. This is a, my favorite, my new favorite phrase brisket lollipop. I never heard yeah. that before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool, man. So when it comes to the, and we'll, we'll get into all the different combos and all that stuff, but uh, as a go to, um, do you get the uh, question often where it's like, I use apple pellets versus signature pellets or whatever, and I can't really tell the difference or whatnot. Does that take time at all? Um, it depends on the profile. So I usually mm-hmm. tell the difference between like a robust wood, like a hickory and a mesquite. Okay. Cherry's my go-to. Yeah. I use cherry for 99% of my cooks. Mm-hmm. It's pretty versatile. It's still really good on beef. 
still has enough subtleness for pork and chicken and stuff like that. So it's easy. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm doing it, for example, a prime rib this weekend. So I'm either going to use our bold blend, which has a little bit of rosemary in it, or I'm going to use um, our brisket blend, which has some cracked pepper actually mixed into the pellet. There was like a holiday blend too, right? That that, that came was, out? Yeah, that we, we do a turkey blend every year turkey that blend, comes yeah. with the brine kit and stuff. And actually that brine kit is really good for pork. Really? Yeah. So right now is my favorite time of the year to buy a rack of, a rack of pork. So mm-hmm. essentially a, a pork prime rib. And then I'll brine it for 18 hours using that turkey brine kit. And it turns out insane. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I like applewood. Yeah. That, that's one of my favorites. Applewood? Mm-hmm. Yep. When, uh, with the different pellets and all that stuff, is there any, um, uh, I guess it would, it would probably depend on your climate, whether if you buy them for the whole year and just let them kind of sit and all that versus is it better just to go get them fresh whenever you need it or? I usually keep four or five bags on hand. I also yeah. cook a lot more than the average yeah, person, true. but yeah, keep four or five bags on hand and just keep them in the mm-hmm. garage. Um, we make some stay dry pellet bends, which work really well. They have kind of a little rubber seal around them mm-hmm. and then they fit under the grill so you can switch your pellets out pretty easily. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you live, I got friends that have grills in Hawaii and they've had them for six, seven years and they're still ticking. So yeah, I would say definitely keep it covered. Mm-hmm. I don't cover my grill cause I try to beat the heck out of it. So I've had a grill now <laughs> in my backyard in Utah for three years without a cover. Didn't you post something where yeah. it was like under a freaking yeah. foot of snow? It was last weekend. It was under, oh yeah, we had like a foot of snow and it, <laughs> yeah, fired that thing right up and melted the snow right off of it and things were ticking. So Yeah. Oh my goodness. What's, I mean, on, on that note, what's the best thing someone could do as far as preventative maintenance and all that stuff? Is it really just following the directions? That's a good question. The biggest thing is just probably keeping the, uh, keeping it clean from grease. Interesting. Yeah. Pork butts, brisket, all that stuff produces a lot of a lot of grease, especially Mm -hmm. when you're cooking low and slow, you're rendering that fat. So that fat's coming out. So keeping it, keeping it that either tinfoil or using those drip tray liners and keeping it clean. Um, every six months too, I also do like, uh, or I actually will flush out the auger because mm, okay. again, we don't use any sort of binders or anything. So you do get some sawdust that builds up. And mm-hmm. so what I'll do is I'll clean that hopper out and vacuum it really good, turn the auger on just to push all that out. Or if I see a lot of it, I'll actually take it out mm-hmm. six, maybe once a year, huh. deep clean. <clears throat> and then, uh, you know, we have a degreaser that's all natural. I mean, you can even drink the stuff, but it works insane. It's all citrus based and yeah, I just spray that thing down, let it kind of soak in and then I'll just give it a scrub. And, yeah. uh, yeah. But other than that, just keeping the grease, grease out of it. Uh, that seems to be like all these pictures you see on Instagram and stuff. And again, it's every wood pellet grill has that yeah. same issue. It's not a Traeger thing. Any wood pellet grill is going to, that, that's catching grease and holding grease is going to have that issue. So just keeping it clean is definitely the, 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 the most important thing. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And I probably vacuum mine out. Anytime I change out the, uh, tinfoil or change out my drip tray liner right i have this like, little tiny mini like 30 dollars shot back i've had for like five years and i just zap it real quick mm-hmm. and things are good to go yeah i mean it kind of depends it's almost like personal preference on how um how often you clean your grill because yeah. I, I know guys that clean it once every six months but use it gosh probably maybe once a week or so yeah and then for me i'm like cleaning it almost religiously after like every third cook or something yeah you'll stop doing that <laughs> it's just like anything right like, yeah you know, yeah you're excited you want to take care of it and then all of a sudden you're like you know third and fourth night and you're like eh, i can go one more cook yeah <laughs> yeah exactly exactly is have you heard any of those horror stories where it's like you've seen a picture someone sends you a picture of this grill and it's like whoa holy crap 
Uh, so what's interesting is like, I usually get, you know, people call and be like, Hey, like my girl's not working, you know, it doesn't get up to temp, whatever it is. And I'll be like, Oh, when's the last time you cleaned it? And then you'll see like the three dots pop up. <laughs> and then you see them disappear. And then you'll see it pop up and you'll see it disappear. And then they're like, what do you mean by clean it? Or they'll be like, never. I'm like, okay, let's start with that. And <laughs> it seems like nine times out of 10, a thorough cleaning usually fix the issue. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. How important is it? Cause you know, some, sometimes I'll skip this part and I know it's really bad, but how important is it to prime your girl before you uh, before you cook, you only have to do the initial priming once. Really? Yeah, you just because oh, again once, what the priming is doing is it's essentially charging that auger, so just filling yeah. the auger with pellets. So once it's full, it's going to continue to stay full. So I don't need to prime it every time. No. So the only time I, I prime it when it's first out of the box, and then prime it once I do like a deep cleaning, and I push all it out, so mm-hmm. there's nothing in there. Then I just prime it again. Huh. Interesting. That's good to know. Yeah. I'm learning all kinds of good stuff, yeah. Darren. <laughs> yeah, we are. Yeah, we got to get you a trigger now. Yes. <laughs> um, when it comes to the rubs and all that, because I know Traeger offers a whole ton of rubs and all that, which one's your favorite? Depends on what I'm cooking. Yeah. Yeah, like, um, f- you know, if I want more of a traditional taste, like with chicken or turkey, that fin and feather is super good. Um, I also like using that on, like, yellowtail stuff. If I want more traditional, like, you know, like I'm going to roast some, some, uh, some fish or whatever. Beef-wise, I really like our uh, black in Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. Become one of my favorites. The prime rib, I like to use them together. So I like to mix and match pellets or uh, rubs. Mm. Um, again, it just depends on what I'm cooking. You have a, a coffee-based one, don't you? Yep. Mm-hmm. How is that one? It's good. Yeah. yeah, it's really good. I mean, it's very subtle, the coffee flavor. You can smell it a little bit, but yeah, it's a good one. Mm-hmm. So it just depends. Like I said, my kids like sweet, so our pork and poultry is crazy sweet. We came out with a new one called, uh, what's it called? Perfect Pork Rub. That's becoming a family favorite. Um Ace Hardware did an exclusive cherry rub that's pretty tasty. Uh, that everything rub, it comes in a blue, has a blue label, and it's salt, pepper, garlic with a little bit of lime. Mm-hmm. That's that's been a killer one too. So yeah, it just depends on what you're in. If you go to a lot of like you know some some of these barbecue shops and you know stores, they'll actually have samples you can try. Hmm. So again, next time you go to the shop, ask them if they have any open in the back or whatever. And yeah, you can take a you know take take a taste, take a you know smell it and stuff. And yeah, it's a good way to kind of figure out what you want to do. Salt, pepper, lime, and garlic. That sounds like it'd be great on chicken. Real good. So that's the, my my new. So I, I recently accidentally bought pork cushions. Accidentally, I did. <laughs> what is a pork cushion? Exactly. <laughs> so I thought I was buying. I thought I was buying two pork boneless pork butts. We mm-hmm. were doing an event at a fly shop uh, a couple weeks ago. We were doing tacos, and uh, I unwrap them, and they're just like essentially like uh, a ball of pork this big. So I looked it up and what it is, is there's a certain muscle inside of a pork butt or a pork shoulder. And it's actually just that muscle only. So it's the biggest muscle that's kind of in the middle. So you have like, I know you guys can't see at home, but you know, you have the outer edge, which is your money muscle. Mm-hmm. And then you have two or three different pieces. So the biggest piece in the middle of a pork shoulder, they take all that other stuff out. And it's just that it's called the pork cushion. The pack had four of them. So again, they're probably a little bit bigger than a softball, you know, maybe mm-hmm. the size of like a you know kid's soccer ball. And I put um, the Traeger rub, which is garlic and chili, and then I also combined it with the everything rub, and then I just smoked them normal. And then I did uh, a little bit of Coke, a little bit of uh, Michelada, and some butter, and braised them in that, and they were insane. We made tacos out of them, and it was that's my new favorite. I, I won't do a pork butt over again. 
Huh. Yeah. Because it was also like a really good size too. You know, a lot of times we end up with so much meat left over. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it was a good size. So what I'll start doing is I'll start buying those and then vacuum sealing two or three of them. I've never mm-hmm. seen those out here. No, I found it at a restaurant supply store. So just ask, like go to a restaurant supply store, go to a butcher shop and ask them for it. A pork the, cushion. Pork cushion. Huh. On your yeah. way home in Temecula, there's the naughty pig. Yeah. You can stop in there and see if they got them. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, it was like a U.S. Foods or whatever, like restaurant supply store we had gone into to get a bunch of supplies for this event. And yeah, I, I wasn't paying attention. Thought I was buying one thing. It was turned <laughs> what, out to be a really good mistake. What's the fat content in that? Is it? It's surprisingly it's, low. There was a pretty decent amount of um, fat on the outside of it because um, it was interesting. One guy was like, "You got to mix it. Like the fat's not there." And I'm like, "This thing was flavorful. It just broke apart." Like the other thing you got to realize too is that when you mix, so when you braise it with the beer and you braise it with the soda and then you braise it with the butter butter's fat right mm-hmm. so what yeah. i'll do is i'll take i'll take all the fat off of it the big kind of clunky fat and i'll put the pork into a different bowl then i'll shred it and then i'll pour that juice back on so you're adding fat into it because of yeah. what was in the braise mm-hmm. so with that i mean it was insane it was nice. super good so and then again same thing i'll cook a pork like a chuck roast or you know like a rump roast the exact same way as that little pork butt, and it will shred, make sandwiches, make tacos. So, again, I'm not changing how I cook it. I'm just changing the cut, and I'm changing the seasonings and changing how I serve it. Nice. At the end of the day, it's like, I mean, I could do it blindfolded. Wow. Yeah. On the note of, of grilling crazy things, I mean, I've done almost everything from vegetables and Brussels sprouts yeah. to meat to pizza um, anything. What's the craziest thing you've heard of someone uh, actually grilling? So I, I lived in Brazil. Oh, really? And that's how my love for barbecue really spiked. Um, we'd always get together for Sunday dinners and stuff growing up. and They do barbecue pretty well down there. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, that's kind of their thing. <laughs> and um, so, again, you know, it was always a family thing. It was really fun. And then moved to Brazil, lived in the Amazon for a couple of years. And uh, I've, I've eaten capybara, which is the world's biggest rodent. Hmm. Uh, stingray. Um, a lot of freshwater um, uh, crabs, monkey, turtle, alligator, snake. I mean, Alligator's good. Yeah. You could buy alligator meat in yeah. a lot of places, kangaroo meat and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's capybara was insane. It wasn't on a Traeger. It was all open pit. But, like, that was down there eating a rodent that tasted that good. I was like, dude, i got to figure out this barbecue thing. And so, again, we, <laughs> we were barbecuing constantly down there, and that's kind of where my love for grilling kind of mm-hmm. took off. And then to parlay it into a job was insane wow yeah so that's awesome yeah do you get any pictures of like crazy stuff in the traegers or anything like that uh just stuff i see on the internet most yeah. people that i you know most people want to they kind of want to go with the sure bet they don't get sure too bet. too uh what do you call it crazy yeah crazy <laughs> yeah adventurous yeah yeah have traeger grills exploded internationally as they have uh, or as much as in the u.s yeah they uh Australia is going is getting crazy. Really? Yep. They do a lot of good barbecue in Australia. A lot of their local stuff and a lot of influence from the U.S. The biggest trade uh, barbecue trade show in the world is actually in uh, I think it's Germany. It's called Spoga, and it hmm. is massive outdoor trade show. And uh, yeah, so through the U.K. and Denmark, we have a court. We actually have an international office in Copenhagen. Oh, really? Yeah, and then. Technically, Canada is considered international, but yeah, they're starting to take off by their own right, and there's a ton of good barbecuers and people coming out of there. So, you're starting to see it kind of happen everywhere. You know, I know a couple guys that have actually taken triggers with them to Brazil. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. 
Well, speaking of traveling and Traegers and all that, I think a couple weeks ago we talked about it before we kicked it on, but I think your boss's boat actually had the tailgater just mounted on on the boat. Yep. I want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty insane. So he, he had a new boat, Hyde, out of uh, Idaho Falls. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Lemoyne Hyde started Hyde Drift Boats. Their boats are indestructible. They're gorgeous. So I got to go to the facility and when they picked it up and taken on some maiden voyage. And yeah, I mean, that thing is, it is dialed in. Goal zero generator, solar power generator in the front of the boat, grill with a custom mount on the, on the, on the anchor bracket. Mm-hmm. And then there's a, a, essentially an extension cord that runs from front to back. So the, what do you call it? The generator up front and then the grill in the back kind of counter themselves out. Right. And yeah, I mean, it's, it is the craziest thing when you like get on the river and you're literally smoking food and like barbecuing, <laughs> going down the river, catching fish. Oh my God. That's the life. Yeah. That's it's the dream. Insane. Yeah. <laughs> Leave, want... Leaving a smoke trail in a drift boat. Yeah. <laughs> that thing's powered insane. by something. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's been fun. That's a lot of fun. And then obviously the Ranger is a good mm-hmm. portable unit. So a lot of guys with some bigger boats, you know, mm-hmm. they'll pull those out. We've cooked on them on, t- uh, uh, on bait tanks and, there's been a couple guys that have made little mounts and stuff that either attach the rails or mm-hmm. go right in a rod holder and stuff like that. But they all run after ba- a basic 110. Mm-hmm. So, again, they don't pull a lot of electricity. The hot rod is what pulls the most. And then after that, it's just the fan and the controller and the auger motor. So, I mean, they don't pull much at all. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. I'm trying to talk. So, I work for a couple of different charter boats in San yeah. Diego. I've been like desperately trying to talk them into actually installing like a trail gator or something like There's that. There's a couple of boats that take them out. Yeah. They are a full size grills, you know. Really? Just, yep. And they'll just like, you know, they'll essentially just tie them down. And does it does it actually work like being outdoors and with the wind and all that? Totally. Really? I mean, I cook in blizzards. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true so. on that note. <laughs> but the other thing too, like <clears throat> if you have a grill, like cook the food at home and take it with you. Yeah. So like, for example, a jet boil. So you can vacuum seal cooked pork, hmm. put it jet boil gets hot in like a minute and a half, two minutes. And it's literally boiling 212 degrees. You can take the vacuum sealed pack mm-hmm. and drop it inside the jet boil on the boat. And it's like, just like sous vide it to heat it back up hmm. and you cut that open, pull the pork out. You have hot pulled pork. Oh so again, there's a lot of ways you can reheat meat. Yeah. You know, and, and any, and, and that's stuff. the so easy way to do it. It really is. It really <laughs> is. So like if you have a smaller boat or center console or whatever, plus the nice thing about that too, is you don't have to worry about power, Yeah, you know, and, but again, it's like a jet boil, just a little propane tank and you're su- it's super easy to do. So wow. yeah, there's a lot of different ways you can kind of utilize it. That's crazy. I think, um, Traeger, correct me if I'm wrong, Rory, but I think Traeger just purchased or just bought that, uh, that thermometer meter, mm-hmm. I think. That, worked, that thing worked pretty well, and I can't wait to see what Traeger does with that. Yeah, it's a cool. I mean, the whole thing around that is it's it calculates. Like the, That's the number one question I get. Mm-hmm. How long does it take to cook something? <laughs> and DVQ, who's uh, one of our, 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 our really longtime ambassadors, super great woman, her joke's like, it's, it takes as long as it takes. It's done <laughs> when it's done. So yeah. it's all about cooking it to the right temp. So, sure. again, like we talked about earlier, <clears throat> That might take 30 minutes or it might take an hour. You just don't mm-hmm. know. So what's nice about that meter is it's actually going to triangulate based off of the internal temp of the, the meat, the protein, the ambient temperature of the grill, and then also um, the set temp, what you want to get it to. And it's going to have some sort of algorithm and triangulate. The and rate, it's going yeah. to tell you when it's done. Huh. And it's pretty spot on. Huh. So what's nice, especially at Thanksgiving or Christmas, it's like, okay, cool. I'm doing my prime rib. You know, it's going to take me three hours to do a prime rib. Mm-hmm. 
more or less. So now it's like I can start watching it. And it's like, okay, cool. Well, I know it's an hour left, so now I can start cooking my sides. So you can plan your whole meal so it's all done at the same time rather than like try to guess and then eat one or two parts that are cold. So, okay, so that was my next question. When it comes to, is it good just to err on the side of, side of caution when it comes to the timing where it's better, if you know prime rib is going to take three hours, it's better to start at four hours before you're going to eat or something? Is it, be, is, it, is it good to be conservative like that? Or you, if you're like, let's say you're going to, you're going to have like host people. Yeah. Do a test cook. The other thing too is like, so it, it, there's a lot of similarities between barbecue and fishing. So think about like, you have some of these guys that fish and they keep these tedious notes, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tides, moon phases, times of day, you know, the angle of the sun versus the angle of the moon. <laughs> like these guys get pretty intense, right? Yeah. <laughs> Do the same thing with barbecue. So, like, visually take pictures. Like, I take pictures of the meat before, and I'm, so it's like I know when I go to the store now, like, what I'm looking for when I buy it. And I've cooked so many, I kind of know how long it should take. Um, so, again, keep notes on that, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to get crazy and be like, oh, the barometric pressure, you know, when I did that brisket <laughs> was phenomenal at 47%, and the humidity was 92 Like, but just, like, you know, take mental notes, take pictures and stuff and, you know, take little notes if, you know, and then again, do a test cook. Mm-hmm. Like, especially if you're going to try out a new recipe, don't try a new recipe out when you're going to have company over. Yeah. You know, but again, it's like, okay, cool. We're, you know, Thanksgiving, for example. Okay, cool. Well, I'm going to do a small turkey a month before. Mm-hmm. And okay, that took, that was a 10 pound turkey. That took me X amount of time. Okay. I really like this rub. I didn't like that rub. I want to change this part of the rub. I put too much butter and not enough butter, whatever it is. And then you can, that way you can kind of know what you're getting yourself into the, the you know, the day of. Mm-hmm. So again, that's the one thing, the biggest recommendation I have is if you have the the ability to do a couple tests, cook, go for it. And if you are hosting and you're concerned, you shouldn't be serving that meat. Pick something you're confident in serving. Yeah. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah. Does climate really make a difference? I haven't noticed. No. I've cooked in Hawaii. I've cooked in the desert. I've cooked in Arizona. Utah, I've cooked all over the West United States. And there's, I mean, it's not enough to make a difference personally. Mm-hmm. Interesting. <clears throat> Darren, I see you uh, picking out your new grill there. Yeah. Yeah. I was uh, actually looking at the one you just got the Ironwood 885. Yep. It's a nice looking deal right there. For sure. I started off on the tailgater, and Rory, I got to tell you, that thing was bitching. Oh, I love it. It's cool. It it's made some good ribs. Yeah. Yeah. Multiple times. Yeah. Many times. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, and it's very portable. I like the foldable legs on that one too, and all that you can transport it. I've taken that thing out to, you know, almost the sport boats. I've taken out to Palm Springs and all that. It's really portable. It I is like it's it. a great little grill. I like it. Yeah. And how or how how much square foot or how many square inches is that? Do you remember? No, but you can easily do two racks of ribs, maybe three, depending uh, on how you trim them. I've done three. Yeah, you can do two or three tri-tips. You can easily do a pork butt. I've gotten two full-size chickens in there. So mm-hmm. that's the other thing, too, about the grill, the Traeger, is like because of the convection and the wood pellet and the, and, and the indirect heat, you can really shove that thing full of stuff. So as long mm-hmm. as you can get some air circulating, like yeah. you can have a half an inch gap between your meat and the top of it, and you're going to, it's pretty solid. <laughs> so, it is. Yeah, you don't have to be too shy. Yeah, I mean, I've done three racks of ribs. I've done plenty of burgers and all that yeah. stuff. I mean, it's just a solid grill, and it's not its not small by any means, but it's not large. No, it's good. It's a good-sized grill. So, yeah, I have that. So we've done plenty of different events down at Dana Landing and all that stuff, and you typically come out with your salty dogs. Okay, yeah. So that salty <laughs> dog, Casey Curtis, he's a, 
uh, ex-pro surfer, you know, a godfather of Salt Creek and mm-hmm. just an awesome dude. Um, he's become a good, but a really good friend of mine. So he's one of the Southern California reps for Salty Crew. He also reps um, Matt's and Sunglasses, which another good friend of mine owns out of Oceanside. Mm-hmm. So we've become really good friends over the last eight plus years. Um, and he was taking triggers to his events. And he would do hot dogs for the kids and he would do pulled pork sandwiches for the adults. Mm. He got kind of through the day and he miscalculated and he had all this pulled pork, but he had no buns. So he started taking the pulled pork and putting it on top of the hot dogs with uh, <laughs> with the coleslaw. Nice. And then we started adding jalapenos and started adding that. So, yeah, Casey Curtis invented the salty dog and it has become like a mainstay in Southern California. Like every event, like I could offer like, hey, can I do prime rib for everyone? And they're like, no, nah, let's do salty dogs. Like, yeah. And then we've, uh, we started doing a couple salty dogs at events up in Utah. And mm-hmm. so it's been fun to kind of introduce uh, the fly fishing scene to the salty dog. So. That's like, that's like the California burrito. Yeah, exactly. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's insane. It's so good. I did Salty Dogs, uh, I don't know, maybe like a month ago for, for the family. I was bored on a Sunday, and I'm like, hey, I'll just kick on the trigger and do that. And it was fantastic. I think I put those on uh, Hawaiian rolls instead. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. People lose their minds. They're like, yeah. They, like, you, like, the first, you can't wrap your hand around it, and some people are a little leery. <laughs> and then they always come back for more. So the last event I saw you at, I think, was... Uh, it's like March or something for the I seminar think it was May. Or, or May, yeah. yeah, down at uh, Dana Landing. Yeah, I think we sold, we served over three hundred salty dogs that day. I had at Jeez. least two of them. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that was a good time. Yeah, for sure, guys. That is going to wrap it up for the CCA California podcast. But we're going to continue the conversation on the Doc Talk podcast. Make sure to go follow that and uh, follow us there right now. We will see you guys next week. Bye.